Hello, humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. How are you? How you doing? Last Saturday in July. Mm, I hate saying that. Trust me. Trust me. Uh, that means there's like only four or five more Saturdays until Labor Day. I, uh, uh, at any rate, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome back. Welcome back. You know, our show is where we highlight both historical and present day idealists, people working to make the world better. And boy, let me just tell you, we've got a great show today. You will absolutely love, with the word love underlined, the big interview. It's with an idealist seeking to protect students across America. You will love, her name is Taylor Lyons, you will love her. And of course, in the C Block, I'll talk about my work as an idealist. But let us begin with this week's featured idealist, Lorraine Hansberry. Now, some of you may recognize that name as Lorraine Hansberry wrote the critically acclaimed play, A Raisin in the Sun, which was about a black family living in under racial segregation in Chicago. And while that play, which I'll talk about later on, okay, was turned into a movie starring Sidney Poitier, another idealist, someone I highlighted um, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, uh, while that play was turned into a, a movie and great critical critical acclaim, okay, with Lorraine becoming the first black woman to have a play performed on Broadway, there is much more to understand about Lorraine Hansberry and her idealism. Let's begin with the basics. Lorraine Hansberry was born in Chicago in May 1930. Her father was a real estate broker, and her mother was a driving school teacher and ward committee woman. So the parents, the parents were involved. They were active, and they were involved. When Lorraine was eight, her father bought a house in a predominantly white neighborhood on Chicago's south side. The houses in that neighborhood had restrictive racial covenants, and when white neighbors objected, Lorraine's father filed a lawsuit challenging uh, the covenant. Uh, that case made its way all the way to U.S. Supreme Court. So think of it. Lorraine uh, Hansberry's father what had a, a Supreme Court case, okay? And the Supreme Court in Hansberry versus Lee, the name of that case, ruled that the covenant was contestable, but it wouldn't be for another 15, near 15 years when the Supreme Court would finally say that, that restrictive covenants and leases, okay, based on, you know, where they say only white people can live here, uh, it wasn't until 1948 the Supreme Court said that's unconstitutional. Lorraine's parents were involved with the Urban League and NAACP in Chicago, and they had prominent black, black people visiting their home, including W.E.B. Du Bois, du Bois, the poet Langston Hughes, singer and activist Paul Robeson, Robeson the jazz legend Duke Ellington, and Olympic gold medalist Jesse Owens. I mean, obviously, we can see the seeds of idealism being planted in Lorraine Hensley, excuse me, Lorraine Hansberry, sorry, just as a teenager, maybe even before that. In, 18, in 1948, Ellie, you got to read these show notes a little bit better. In 1948, after high school, Lorraine Hansberry attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she did two things. One, she became active in the Communist Party USA, because at that time, the Communist Party USA was the most, most aligned with trying to give black people rights in America. And she integrated uh, a dormitory 
at uh, U Wisconsin Madison. So she's like, no, we're gonna. It's not gonna be white anymore. All white anymore. She also later worked on Henry Wallace's Progressive Party. But by the time that Lorraine Hansberry was 20 years old, she moved to New York City, lived in Harlem, and attended the New School, um, where she set her sights on becoming a writer. She also began to write for black newspaper, Freedom, at, wit, at which Paul Robeson was an editor. Paul Robeson, you will also know, was also a civil rights activist. He knew Dr. King. He, uh, I, I think I've actually highlighted him before um, as an idealist. At Freedom, the black ma- uh, newspaper, Hansberry wrote about the civil rights movement in the U.S. and the global struggle against colonialism and imperialism. She saw that they were intertwined. In 1952, uh, Lorraine attended a peace conference in Montevideo, Montevideo, Uruguay. Gosh, El, come on. You got 19 years of education. In the place she did that, she went to the conference in Montevideo because Paul Robeson had been denied a travel visa by the U.S. State Department. Yeah, and it was at that point that the FBI began a dossier on Lorraine, which, um, you know, as you may remember, the FBI created a lot of dossiers on civil rights activists. In 1953, Lorraine married uh, Robert uh, Nimeroff, a publisher, songwriter, and political activist. In fact, on the night before their wedding, Lorraine and Nimeroff protested against the executions of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. I mean, these are, they were a couple, you know, very dedicated. Um, They would later separate Lorraine and Nimeroff would later separate in 1957, and then they divorced in 62, but they stayed friends and, and stayed in contact. Eventually, Lorraine would write about her attraction to women, and that led her to writing in a couple of gay publications under a pseudonym. Uh, because remember, in the 1950s and from most of the 60s, it was dangerous to be out as gay or lesbian. Remember that? Do you remember that? Okay, it was like dangerous. You get arrested. You know, your name goes, I mean, you get blacklisted, you can't get a job. So in fact, such was the stigma about being gay or lesbian that after Lorraine's death in 1965, her executor happened to be Nimeroff, okay, um, blocked all access to her writings about Lorraine being gay. He blocked all access for 50 years. But the gem of Lorraine Hansberry's life certainly was her play, A Raisin in the Sun, which she completed in 1957. Uh, Yep, I'm good to go. And which opened at the Barrymore Theater on March 11, 1959, representing the first play by a black woman to ever open on Broadway. Lorraine was just 29 years old at the time. Think about that. The play, again, about a black family that moved into a white neighborhood, was, was awarded the New York uh, Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Play in 1960. And the play was nominated for four Tony Awards uh, in 60 as well. The play was so widely received that within two years, okay, just within two years, it was translated into 35 languages and was being performed all over the world. And then there have been several, you know, revivals of the play, you know, and Sean P. Diddy was helped produce one of those revivals. And so uh, the, you know, 
the book and the play, A Raisin in the Sun, it just, and in 1963, Lorraine met with then Attorney General Bobby Kennedy. So listeners, you know, Bobby Kennedy, one of my biggest heroes in the whole wide world. And Lorraine asked Bobby uh, to make a moral commitment to civil rights. Wow. She also said um, about civil rights, quote, that blacks must concern themselves with every single means of struggle, legal, illegal, passive, active, violent, and nonviolent. They must harass, debate, petition, give money to court struggle, sit down, lie down, strike, boycott, sing hymns, pray on the steps, and shoot from their windows when the races come cruising through their communities, unquote. She was passionate. She had a reason for that. She had seen racism firsthand in her life where people wanted her to get out of her house. Wow. By the way, oh, sorry, um, hold on. In January 1965, at age 34, Lorraine died of pancreatic cancer. And what a loss to the world when that happened. And now finally, by the way, the title of the play, A Raisin in the Sun, was from a Langston Hughes poem titled Harlem. And here's what that poem reads. Quote, What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? The struggle for right. The struggle for freedom. The struggle against marginalization is long and arduous and hard. And it takes the voices of many, particularly people like Lorraine Hansberry, to make us listen. Okay, that's the end of this this uh, block. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this. Check out, go, all you have to do is Google Lorraine Hansberry and you will find out a whole lot more. Okay, next up, we're going to do this interview with um, Taylor Lyons. You are going to love it. We'll be back in a second. If you like what you hear, visit my website at ellikrug.com. Thanks. I want to hold the hand inside you I want to take the breath that's true And we're back. 
Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Okay, for the big interview, everyone, um, let me just tell you. (laughs) You are going to like my guest, Taylor Lyons. And I'm going to give you a preview of what Taylor is doing, or Taylor the Idealist is doing in the world. She's, She's a mom. She's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And last week on July 21st, she spoke to the school board for the Chattanooga schools. And here's a taste of what Taylor had to say about that. We are deeply disturbed by the unprecedented access you have granted to a highly partisan, special interest extremist group on our public school property to host a partisan event. Opening the door to whatever fringe extremist groups would like to host events on our public school grounds, so long as they cross their finger, wink at you, tell them they're nonpartisan for the afternoon, and fill out the proper paperwork. The KKK. I mean, they are a legitimate 501c3. I hope you would find it within you to tell them no. Or how about the Proud Boys? I mean, we're just asking here. Or will you have a friendly school board member show them to find the proper paperwork online and answer any questions they might have filling it out? See, you can and you did dance around the policy all you want, but ultimately you all had the power to determine whether or not this was in the best interest of our schools. And you chose the path of least resistance. You chose to do and say nothing, which is a loud statement, which has reverberated throughout our state, for which this was a test to be replicated. Okay, thank you, Brett. And uh, let me uh, introduce Taylor Lyons, the person who was saying all of that to the Chattanooga School Board. Uh, Taylor, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you, Ellie. Appreciate you having me here. I am thrilled to have you here. Uh, this time last week, I didn't know you existed, okay? And because my listeners know I'm a Twitter junkie, I came across, uh, it's a f- five-minute uh, clip of you speaking to the Chattanooga School Board about them allowing, was it Moms for Liberty, to come on, cam- come on campus and essentially do an event that we know what Moms for Liberty stands for. Well, maybe we need to tell uh, the listeners about that. But Taylor, let's let's begin first and make sure we get everything about you. You you live in Chattanooga, is that right? I do, yeah, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, y'all. <laughs> and uh, the Chattanooga, Tennessee school district, if I have this right, is fifty uh, percent uh, children of color. Correct. Over fifty percent. Over. Just over. Just over fifty percent. And we have around 45,000 students. Um, it's, a, it's a really wide, beautiful variety of, of kids of all, all, all kinds. And what, uh, why, don't you, why don't you go back and tell us what happened exactly to cause you, I mean, that's not the first time you've talked to the school board, but on, last week for you to talk to the school board, what happened? Yeah, I, this has been uh, a year really of um, us kind of pushing back against this far right, you know, parents' rights movement, which is really, you know, masquerading what is really happening here, which is a very well-organized, funded machine to dismantle and and undermine public education piece by piece. And, you know, Ellie, I'm not just a mom. I'm um, 
the community outreach director and co-founder of a social activist organization in Chattanooga called the Moms for Social Justice. So, you know, we have been working in and around issues around um, public education and advocating for our students for the last, you know, five years of our existence. But it really wasn't until around a year ago when we started seeing angry parents show up to school board meetings um, who we did not recognize and that there's a reason we didn't recognize them. It's because most of them don't have kids who attend public schools. Right. Um, and some so of them, I'm going to guess some of them don't even live in the district. They're from somewhere else. 100%. 100%. Um, showing up screaming about um, masking. First, it started with the masks. Yep. It moved to CRT. And then it moved to book banning. And now it's moving to targeting our queer youth and, and queer uh, teachers and queer literature. And it's moving to sex education and SEL. And it's just like a moral panic bingo card. <laughs> They're moving down the line. Um, but we know what it is. It's all really an effort to um, defund and dismantle public education. It is. Um, and, and but... But you, well, you've started, you were co-founder of this organization, Moms for Social Justice. By the way, why don't you give out the website where people can go find that organization? Yeah, we are momsforsocialjustice.us. Uh, you can also, I think, find us on social. I think that's where we're most active. Twitter, we're at MSJ, uh, moms for SJ and MSJ chat on Facebook. Okay, great. Tell us about the organization. How many people are in it? And... You've got more, I mean, you have actually chapters in the U.S., right? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to celebrate our five-year anniversary in August, and that's a big milestone for us because we started Moms for Social Justice in my living room uh, five years ago. It was right after the, the hate rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, which Charlottesville, Virginia is just a few hours away from us. Right. And um, that was, this was a really pivotal moment in, in our lives you know, as, as mom friends here living in the deep South that, um, you know, we had literal Nazis marching in our streets and, and we had, um, we had protesters killed at that rally. And, uh, at that moment, we just kind of looked at each other and thought, we don't want to tell our kids 20 years from now that in this, you know, state of, of racial and cultural unrest that we did nothing. It just didn't feel that didn't feel sufficient anymore. So we started this organization thinking that maybe we were not alone in our community. Yeah. And to our delighted surprise, we weren't. We started four moms in my living room and we've grown to over 3000 engaged local members. And for like a, a mid-sized city in the deep south, y'all, that is not an insignificant <laughs> amount of people. Y'all, I think that's one. That's wonderful. But you were telling me, I mean, you have chapters why don't you give us a little bit of the list where other Moms for Social Justice chapters have shown up? And by the way, okay, I know Minnesota's not on that list, but we're listeners. You're listening here. Okay, go ahead. Give us a, where, yeah, where else? Well, follow Minnesota. Um, yeah, over the last five years, just, you know, little, you know, blips that we've had on the media here and there uh, showing up on a national level. We've had moms reach out to us from all over the country saying, hey, you did it in Chattanooga. Why can't we do it here? 
to which we say you can, and we'll show you how. Uh, so we have chapters in um, St. Louis, in Knoxville, Tennessee, in Alaska, in DC, in Southern California. And I'll tell you a secret, we're about to announce a Denver chapter. <laughs> First on LA 2.0 Radio. Oh, that's just great. Okay, good, good, good. Well, that, I mean... And and Taylor, I'm just going to tell you, first of all, you've got a magnetic personality as an idealist. Um, you're gonna, there are going to be more chapters. And and listeners, I was not actually kidding. Um, reach out to Taylor and you'll, you'll be able to get a hold of her uh, in a second. I'll let her tell you how you can get a hold of her. Um, but reach out to her. I think we need a Moms for Social Justice chapter here in Minnesota. Okay? I think we do. I think maybe we need more than one. So, uh, well, to finish that thought, Taylor, how can people get a hold of you and, you know, make whatever you feel safe in terms of giving out contact information? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more because we, we're seeing parents activate on the other side, right? Right. And they're doing it with, um, with the full support of the entire GOP apparatus. Yep. That is a, a very well-funded, well-organized, uh, you know, movement of, of parents screaming about, you know, parents' rights. So our, our argument is we want to see the same thing from the parents uh, who are pro-public education, who are pro-students' rights, who want to want to see kids um, of, all, of all colors and of all um, gender uh, identity loved and respected and, and appreciated for who they are. Like all kids deserve to feel safe and loved and accepted in their schools. They all deserve to feel worthy, to be told that they are worthy, that they matter. And I can't agree more. And I think that there are, uh, Taylor, I think that there are so many, so many incredible, way more parents out there that, that you know, just want their kids to get a, a broad education about the world. I sat with some, a, a gentleman this week who told me, you know, he, he wanted his kids to understand the whole world, that he wanted them to go to a school where they would experience other children, you know, from different backgrounds and stuff like that. So hold on, but but before we go, is there a way that somebody can get a hold of you or should they just go to the Moms for Social Justice website? Um, you know, you're ha welcome to reach out to me personally on Twitter. I'm Taylor Lyons MSJ, uh, or you can reach out to uh, Moms for SJ on Twitter and we will Great. we will get back with yeah. you for sure. And that's how I got you. So, you yeah. know, you, you responded to uh, my, my message. All right, so... Tell us, give us a little bit more about the lay of the land in Chattanooga and how have you, how is Moms for Social Justice, but particularly how has Taylor Lyons been received? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, tell us, give us more a little bit about the school board and, um, and the, you know, you, I mean, as I watched you on Twitter with your five minute speech, I mean, you had people lined up behind you. It looked like they were all nodding their heads mm -hmm. and saying, yeah, and all that stuff. So give us a little bit more of the landscape. I mean, it has been a wild year. Um, we, you know, we've been working in and around uh, public education anyway. Uh, and we would have, we would have opposed book banning anyway. Let me just say that because of who we are as an organization. But but MSJ found ourselves square in the middle of the, the, the book banning controversy because we have a social initial uh, project called the Classroom Library Project. Okay. And that's exactly what it sounds like. We have a lot of underserved, under-resourced schools here in Chattanooga. Chattanooga is one of the most deeply segregated school systems in the country. And, um, you know, much to our, our dismay. Uh, 
we have been going into those schools and putting classroom libraries in those classrooms. And because we are who we are, we've put beautifully, you know, diverse and inclusive literature in those classrooms because we feel like every kid deserves to see themselves represented in the in the pages that they read. Uh, and we stand behind that. Representation is not indoctrination. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and as you might imagine, that's not okay with everybody. We have um, we have been called groomers. We have been called pedophile sympathizers. We have been called witches, Satanists, you name it, uh, just for putting books with representation from diverse life experiences in our classroom libraries. And, and I'll tell you, Ellie, that is, that's something that we will take because we will never apologize for putting books in the hands of kids. I love it. You know, well, you know, I'm a writer and and I believe in free speech and free, free, free words for, you know, human, that's, we need to be curious about the world and, you know, books help us, you know, fuel that curiosity. Tell me this, the, the, the meeting on July 21st where you spoke um, and, 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 and the setting was, you know, the school had let this group come in, right, and, and Moms for Liberty and, and had given them space and then they brought in people from the community or maybe they, or did they bring in speakers and was it, you know, was the, were the topics that they discussed, you know, demeaning or uh, marginalizing to groups of groups of humans? So they uh, were granted access to our public school grounds to host school board candidate forums. Ah, okay. Yep. And uh, it will not shock you to know that the candidates that they support um, also support their their extremist puritanical ideology. So. Um, wildly uh, homophobic, transphobic rhetoric, um, anti-CRT, anti-science, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we took issue with that, uh, not just our organization, but but I came to the school board representing not only myself as a parent, um, Moms for Social Justice, but several community organizations, uh, teachers who, who wrote statements anonymously because they were afraid of being doxxed by this organization, Uh, students who wrote statements anonymously because they were afraid of doxxing. So we came together united as a community saying this, this extremist organization has no business having political forums on our public schools when they, when they have said publicly that their overarching goal is to dismantle public education and when they have targeted our teachers so outrageously and targeted our queer youth so outrageously. And, 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 and <clears throat> as you're there at the school board meeting, giving what, and, and listeners, you've, you've got to just Google Taylor Lyons Chattanooga School Board and you're going to find it or go to Twitter and you'll get it on, uh, at um, uh, um, MSJ at, or Taylor Lyons MSJ on Twitter. But you, you told me, and we couldn't see this, okay, but as you were speaking, one of, one of the school board members, elected school board members, got up and walked out. Is that right? She did. She got up and walked out and then proceeded to write an op-ed on Monday attacking me personally in um, local publications. And, and did the Chattanooga Press run that op-ed? They did. Did they give you an opportunity to respond? Uh. Yes, I've had an opportunity to respond. Um, 
and our our position is this that it's um it's beneath our civil discourse <laughs> it's breaking decorum for an elected official to attack a private citizen <clears throat> You will notice in my remarks, Ellie, that I did not address any of them by name because I feel like that that's uh, beyond the pale and that's beneath our civil discourse. So for her to attack me as an elementary school mom by name in, in you know, the public press, and it, as you can imagine, in the last several days after her op-ed, the amount of hate mail that I have received has uh, just been astronomical. Well... Let's talk about that, Taylor, because I, I first of all, I want you to know I like respect the hell out of you. All right. But you you're out in public. You've got you got your name, okay? It, I mean, even if I mean, they're gonna be able to find you pretty easily, okay? They're gonna find you on social media. They certainly could find you in real life. And yet you're doing this. And and you're not, and apparently you're not afraid, okay? of letting your name be out there. We, you, you know, and, and so you and I have a little bit of equivalence because I'm out there as Ellie Krug. You know, some people refer to me as a transgender activist. I just simply refer to myself as a human caring about all humans, okay? Um, and if sometimes if that means being active, well, okay, yeah, all right. So I want to ask you about that because what, you could have done this a different way. What made you so brave? I am a white suburban woman, and with that comes a lot of privilege. <laughs> so I can, I can be loud, and I can be um, vocal in the public space, and I don't, I don't have the same um, fears of retaliation that that more marginalized groups have. And that's uh, something that I don't take lightly, and it's something that I, I take very seriously, that I have a degree of privilege, and I can use that privilege for, um, for the social good, and I'm going, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I like you even more now. <laughs> well, and isn't it true, though, um, with privilege, okay, if you have it, you have an obligation. You have an obligation, right? 100%. So let me, so you knew uh, we're coming towards a little bit towards the end of the interview, and I'm a little sad about that, but <laughs> I told you, I would ask you, what made you, what made you an idealist, Taylor? You know, how did you get here? Because this, yeah. this, by the way, this is extraordinary. You know that. I mean, it is. I mean, you're, 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 you're talking the talk, you're walking the walk. Okay. You're doing something incredible. And, and I can tell it's not nearly anywhere close to being done. What, <laughs> what made you idealistic? I, I was born the daughter of a Southern Baptist preacher and, you know, I don't agree with my dad on a lot of ideological issues, but what I do remember growing up is, uh, he, he impressed upon me to always tell the truth, even when no one else around you uh, is doing so, and even when it's hard. And so even though um, that truth that I brought was brought up with is not the truth that I have now, I, I feel that um, it's an obligation of mine to tell the truth and to tell it loudly. And you know, living in the South, we hear so many jokes about Southern people and so many jokes about um, 
uh, ideologies of the South. And I'm here to tell you, Ellie, and to tell your your listeners there in the Twin Cities, it couldn't be further th from the truth. There are so many incredible people in the South doing the people's work. Um, and and they often get silenced. They get gerrymandered. They get um, marginalized. They get silenced by people in power. But I'm telling you, there are people, some, some of the most incredible um, <laughs> radical activists I've ever met are Southern activists. And I'm, I'm privileged and proud to work alongside them. We're working to make the, the South a better place. And when the South is a better place, the world will be a better place. Well, there was a pretty famous Southern activist by the name of Martin, Reverend, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King, right? Yeah, that's a, it's a big shadow that, that all of us down here, um, you know, working, working to make this a better place. We all um, aspire to, to meet those ideals. So I, I, the last question I, get, I have for you is um, what's next? What, because you know you're building the chapter, sure, but are you gonna are you gonna get into politics? Are you gonna get? Are you gonna go run run for office? Because you, you I mean, woman, you got it. Okay. <laughs> I think that often um, political office is a muzzle. Um, I I think that um, I have a a bigger place in the world of activism, but we'll see. Um, I'll tell you that we are working with organizations throughout the South and throughout the country um, to form a coalition to push for students' rights. We have written a piece of federal legislation called the Students' Bill of Rights, and we are going to spend the next year um, shopping for federal sponsors for that piece of legislation. Wow, wow, That's, that would be phenomenal. I mean, of course, if 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 uh, uh, November goes a certain way, that will be impossible. Um, you know, it's true. It's true. Okay, um, but well, and I, you know what? And I hear you about um, I, I hear you about the muzzle, and I hear you about the freedom that comes from being able to speak outside. But I'll also put this bug in your ear, because it's a bug that's been put in my ear, and that is this: sometimes. Sometimes you've got to get into the fray on the other side of the river, the political side. And sometimes just the mere act of doing that speaks volumes. Okay? So I just, couldn't agree with you more, Ellie. So just remember that, okay? Thank you. Taylor, it has been a pleasure to the highest degree to talk with you. I really appreciate you being on my radio show. Likewise. Um, I appreciate the opportunity, and I would love to come back sometime. Well, uh, hey, Brett, we're going to remember that, bud, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. Now, I, you know, I, I speak and present across the country. We can do things by Zoom, all right? And just so you know that, all right? And, you know, it would be pro bono and all that jazz. I'll take you up on that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. You're welcome. All right. Well, listeners, we've been speaking to Taylor Lyons with Moms for Social Justice. Rockstar. Taylor, thanks so very much for being on Ellie 2.0 Radio. 
I've just enjoyed talking with you so much. And go, go and make the world better. My pleasure, Ellie. Thank you. We're back. Ellie Tuparno Radio um, on AM 950. Uh, Taylor Lyons. I told you you'd like her. I liked her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we will have her back. Uh, we're gonna, we'll have her back because we want to keep tabs on what she and Moms for Social Justice are doing. And boy, like I said, I'd love to have a chapter of Moms for Social Justice here in Minnesota. That would be wonderful would be really wonderful. And again, the people who are attacking school boards, the people that are, are it, it's, it's not a whole lot of people. It's just that they're very, very vocal. That's all. And just like Taylor said, 3,000 3, people in Chattanooga who are trying, you know, though, that's where the majority of people are. They support their school boards. They support the children. They support the teachers. They just have to be more vocal. Okay. All right. Well, uh, C-Block here. So uh, there's a lot of stuff floating around in Ellie Krug's orbit right now that I could talk about relative to my work. And stay tuned, there'll be more coming. Um, but I just want to share a quick experience I had this week where I met a, I met a, a you know, a, a, a gentleman, a nice man. It, I mean, it was totally platonic. But um, I met, I, somebody said, hey, you know, Ellie, you should meet this person. And I said, sure, I'll meet this person. And... We sat down, had a conversation. Oh my goodness, uh, just just a, a really, really nice man. Really nice man. And I'm like, oh gosh, I really like this guy. About 45 minutes in, um, I happened to start to relay uh, to this uh, gentleman that I had done a training that day for an organization. We're not gonna get into who the organization was, uh, but well-known, trust me. Um, and I, it was a Transgender 101 training where I go in and talk about what it means to be trans and how to be welcoming to transgender people, all that stuff. And I started to relay to him that we had done a, a survey at the beginning. And I usually do a survey at the beginning of that talk, which asks just one question. You believe being transgender is a choice? Yes, no, or uncertain. And I started to relay to this gentleman what the results of that survey were. And by the way, I didn't get to tell him really the results, but I'll let you know the results that the vast majority of people attending this training believed it wasn't a choice, okay? But I, I didn't get to that, to tell him that, because as soon as I told him about the survey, he said to me, well, yeah, it is a choice. And, and I said, really? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I, yeah, I believe it's a choice. Um, and, uh, and immediately, my heart began to hurt. Because I just spent 45 minutes with this gentleman and and really liking him, um, thinking he was a really nice guy. Um, again, it was plutonic. This was not, it was about community involvement. And, um, uh, and, and I tried to explain to him, I said, well, no, it really isn't a choice. You know, and, and I tried to, you know, relate to him, look, you know, I mean, I, 
I thought it was a choice for a long time, and I struggled over that. And, you know, I got therapy, and then I realized someday I'd lay on my deathbed. I, I mean, I told him this. I'd lay on my deathbed and look back and regret my life for not being braver uh, to, to live as me, as who I really am. You know, and, and, and the reality is, is that a lot of transgender people, but this also applies to gay and lesbian and bisexual people to a certain degree, okay, but a lot of transgender people don't come out. They're afraid. They're afraid to come out because of the, the implications. Not that I'm anybody brave, okay, but they're afraid. And for many people, I mean, the, sui- the attempted suicide rate for transgender people is 40, 4-0, not, not 4, 4-0 the time the attempted suicide rate for cisgender people, which is a fact that I shared with this gentleman. And I told him, I said, you know, I, my, and he could see the reaction from me. And, and, and he, he said to me, he said, well, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry that, um, that, you know, this, my words hurt you. I, and, but of course, at the same time, he said, but this is what I believe, which really, frankly, didn't help very much. And the problem with believing that being trans or gay or lesbian or whatever and living as who you are authentically, the problem with believing that that's a choice begets the the corollary, which is you didn't have to choose to do that, okay? Or you could unchoose it. You know, you could actually unchoose and you could go, you know, back to being quote-unquote normal. That That's my interpretation. This man didn't say that. But but that's the implication is that if it's a choice, well, you didn't have to do it. And by the way, you can you can go back. You can go back to what you were before you came out as who you really are. And it's that kind of attitude that you can go back, that you don't have to do this, that this isn't real, okay, that this isn't something that's absolutely necessary for you as a human. That kind of attitude is what fuels marginalization of LGBTQ plus people. It is. And everyone, I am here to tell you, in no uncertain terms, it's not a choice. It's not. Now, uh, my best friend in the world and I talked about this and he said, well, Ellie, you know, you got, you know, you start asking people if it's a choice. He said, you may be pretty surprised about hearing how many people believe that it is. And I, you know, I think I I understand what he was saying and I, I get that. But my work, my work in the world as an idealist, among other things, is to help people to understand that the need to live authentically as truly as who you are is not a choice. It's not. It's enlightenment to finally get to do that. And it's survival to be able to do it. Because I guarantee you, had I not come out as Ellie Krug back in 2009, I am positive I would no longer be in this world. So, not a choice. Okay, everyone. Well, listen, I need to thank my producer, Brett Johnson, who does a great job. He had to do a little bit extra work today. So thank you, Brett. And to you, my listeners, thank you for tuning in every week. Um, I hope that you like this show. I hope you can tell other people about it. Please spread the word. And, and, and I would, you know, love, you know, to hear from you. Will you email me at lajkrug at gmail? Tell me what you're doing to make the world better. Because between now and when you hear my voice next, 
Will you go out? Will you go out and do something to make the world better? Remember, compassion and kindness go a long, long way. Okay, till next week. Take care. Bye-bye.